you are listening to a podcast from The National. The curious case of Quadriga CX, a Canadian cryptocurrency exchange, has got conspiracy theorists hot under the collar after the firm filed for creditor protection on the basis that it was unable to access some $190 million belonging to its clients because its CEO, the only one able to do so, had unexpectedly died. My name's Chris Nelson, and in this episode of the Business Extra podcast, Mustafa Al-Rawi and I discuss this, plus the start of earnings season and the big bank merger between Abu Dhabi Commercial Bank, Union National Bank and Al-Hilal Bank. But first, Mustafa, Quadriga CX. What's going on there? Chris, this is a great story in many ways. It's also quite worrying because there's $190 million um, of crypto that is missing. Um, And if you like, it's been relatively quiet on the cryptocurrency front of late. As a reminder to those listening, um, in December 2017, uh, the value of a single Bitcoin hit 20,000 US dollars. Then within a month of that, uh, the market had crashed. Uh, currently, Bitcoin is worth about $3,500. And only a few months ago, actually, it was worth twice that much. Mm. So really, it's been a pretty bearish time for crypto. And and this is perhaps uh, another warning that things are not that necessarily straightforward when dealing with digital assets. Um, you and But also that, and, and this is one thing that people should bear in mind, that in this new world of digital assets, where, you know, on a daily basis, we're seeing more and more people become aware of uh, new ways to uh, spend their money, invest their money, move their money. Uh, that There is still a kind of transition period whereby what they call the legacy world which is basically the world yeah. to you and me yeah. um is 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 struggling to to latch on to um this this very fast paced growing and and obviously futuristic mm-hmm. uh, digital world now why do i say that it's because exchanges are the natural jumping in point for a lot of people yeah. to get into that world but they're also actually the biggest weakness or the biggest opportunity for attack or threat mm-hmm. or for something to break down because it's exactly where the legacy and digital worlds meet. Yeah, it's the, it's that kind of um, hinge point, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. indeed, which is which is not necessarily smooth or comfortable at this point. Um, so, I mean, the, the details of this story in particular are, are read like a novel mm. um, if you want to <laughs> give the listeners yeah. a rundown of exactly what happened. Well, yeah, um, it, uh, it all began, uh, well, it came to light uh, on Thursday when court documents were filed in Nova Scotia from uh, Quadriga uh, seeking uh, creditor protection because it said it does not have access to the $190 million worth of uh, customers' funds uh, that it holds uh, owing to the death of its CEO, Gerald Cotton in December. Um, Now, it seems peculiar to an outsider, I guess, uh, like myself, that um, in this situation, Cotton held the virtual keys to what are called cold wallets um, in which the assets are uh, uh, usually stored um, because it, it protects them from hackers and other digital threats and such like. Now, he he was the only person with the virtual keys to those cold wallets and he was solely responsible for transferring funds between those and the company's maintained hot wallet from where the various um, payments are made to people who want to withdraw their deposits. Um the company said he was the only one with the keys, and now he's dead. Nobody can access them. 
which so, seems peculiar in itself. Well, let's cut through some of the jargon. So hot wallet, cold mm. wallet, um, virtual keys, etc. So essentially, as I said earlier, the, the weakness of, of the exchanges, uh, one of the weaknesses is they could be hacked. Yeah. That their IT systems could be, you know, the, the target of a cyber attack or cyber fraud. I mean, there's many other weaknesses, but let's say that one. Um, so the only way to keep your crypto assets safe was to take them offline. Basically. Yeah. And essentially to keep them in a glorified USB stick yeah. that has a password. Yeah. Now, I went and bought a USB stick that is a fancy USB stick mm -hmm. um, that comes with, you know, security features and i have to remember my password there are they 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 make you write down they ask you to write down 20 different codes should you lose your password or forget your password that you then have to enter right. into your usb stick to open it again yeah which is very legacy yeah. air quotes, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but the idea is that no hacker can get to it. Mm. You can lose it. You can use these USBs. They mm. can be stolen. You can accidentally erase it. You can do all this kind of stuff. Mm. But the point is, is that, you know, the, these hacking groups that are after the crypto assets can't get to them. Yeah, it's yours and only right. you can get to so, it. Yeah. So the idea is, is that for uh, Quadriga CX, mm -hmm. to, as an extra layer of security, uh, the CEO had put the crypto assets in cold storage again, mm -hmm. essentially a big USB yep. um, that nobody could get to. Yeah. And now, because he's dead, nobody else has the passwords as an extra security feature. Now, if you owned a safe, mm. okay, would you share the combination to that safe with many people? Not many, no. Would you share it with anyone? Maybe my wife. Okay, so let's say... In this corporate scenario, your CFO, mm -hmm. or maybe you know somebody trustworthy on the board. Yeah. Um, but in this case, the CEO allegedly did not share those passwords, and now that he has left this, was it shed his mortal coil? Yeah. Um, shuffled off this shuffle, mortal coil. Indeed. Yeah. Um, thank you for the exact quote. <laughs> um, and and I'm sorry this to be sounding flippant. Somebody has died, and that's very sad. But, well, but well, we're cutting through the jargon here mm -hmm. of. Of, of the crypto world. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I think the suspicion comes in that no one could quite believe that this is actually what's happened. And people are suspicious that this excuse is just an excuse yeah. and that the $190 million has actually... Spirited away somewhere. been stolen, yeah. right? Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, there are um, conspiracy theories abounding, really. Um Quadriga had, had actually previously faced legal trouble. In November, uh, a judge ruled uh, in favor of Canadian bank uh, that had frozen about $20 million uh, of the, in the exchange's accounts. And the court cited an inability to determine the fund's owners. So there there's seems to be layer upon layer upon layer of opaqueness involved here. Um, the company, according to the court, the, the most recent uh, filings to the court, the company only has £375,000 in cash. And it owes approximately two hundred and sixty million to about ninety-two thousand customers. Now, amongst obviously the 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 um, the Facebook and and uh, you know Twitter and Reddit conspiracy theories tweeting up all over the place, a company called uh, Zero uh, Nonsense, it based in uh, New York, which is um, a fairly well-respected cryptocurrency research and analytics company 
has just um, published its initial analysis of this whole scenario. And its findings are quite interesting. Now, we have to make clear that the company says itself that the findings are based on the available data and therefore shouldn't be taken uh, as, as being necessarily legally accurate. But what it has found, and these are quotes from the company, it appears that there are no identifiable cold water reserves for Quadriga. It appears that Quadriga was using deposits from their customers to pay other customers once they requested their withdrawal. It does not appear that Quadriga has lost access to their Bitcoin holdings. And crucially, it appears the number of Bitcoins in Quadriga's possession is substantially less than what was reported in Jennifer Robertson's, the wife of the uh, deceased um, CEO, uh, Jerry Cotton, in her affidavit submitted to the Canadian courts. Now, that's pretty serious stuff, really. Well, look, crypto is pretty volatile. So mm. I think there's, you know, as I said, Bitcoin itself has halved in value in the last few months. So um, there's a certain amount of jeopardy in holding cryptocurrencies that move up and down mm. so much. You know, and, and, and obviously the regulation is different from banks. Banks have to have a certain amount of, of reserves to, to, to be you know, yeah. in compliance yeah. uh, with exchanges, depending where they're based, which country, there are different rules. And, and people say this is why the crypto world needs better regulation, mm. tighter regulation, and certainly in the US, mm. other countries, yeah. um, the, uh, the UAE is very forward on, on, on very much so, cryptocurrency yeah. development yeah. And, yeah. and regulation. Yeah. Um, they are working hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is, is that you can't, you, you know, we're trying to, again, as I come back to that point, this is a mishmash yeah. of digital and physical worlds whereby uh, it's sort of, it's, you, you know, you, you're not comparing apples and apples, no, right? Um, no. So they can, it, it may appear that this is some kind of Ponzi scheme or mm. pyramid scheme, mm. but the fact of the matter is, is that Bitcoin goes up and down or yeah. cryptocurrencies go up and down and their values are changing. Yeah. Plus not everyone withdraws at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in fact, with not every exchange allows withdrawals to cold mm -hmm. storage or mm -hmm. withdrawals to, to other places. You have to keep your crypto with them. Um, you have to look around for for a particular exchange that will let you, you know, withdraw. Yeah. Countries like China, for example, their regulators have limited withdrawals at exchanges as a way to to dampen sort of a frenzy and a fever around, around cryptocurrencies. Because if people feel like they can't get their money out, they won't trade. Um, also, they worry about who's using it. And, mm. and and again, at that point where you're converting a cryptocurrency or a crypto asset to fiat currency mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. dollar or, mm -hmm. or, or, or the, the ruble or whatever it might be, at that point, they worry about who's that taking that cash? Yeah. You know, is it something illicit? Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it depends on which country, which jurisdiction, what's happening. But as I said at the beginning, when we started talking about this, it's been really quiet. It's been really bearish mm. um, in the crypto universe these last few months. There hasn't been this frenzy. As I said, when the price is down, people yeah. tend to say, you know, I've had enough of this. Yeah. So this exchange may be a, a, the tragic, you know, death of its CEO, mm -hmm. but also may also be suffering from the wider issues of, of, of crypto in general. Um, but also having said that, uh, you need to have these conversations, mm. many, many, many conversations triggered by news stories like this. And mm. sadly, it's typically the bad news stories that yeah. trigger people in terms of discussing it for them to continue to understand that there is a growing digital financial system or a digital financial um, area in which they can continue to move into. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and uh, this this illustrates, I think, that we are at such a, a, a nascent stage of that, dis despite the fact that, you know, oh yeah, we think we know about cryptocurrencies. I mean, listen, Bitcoin was invented 10 years ago. Um, the 
in reality, if you think about the internet and how that's grown, uh, it was around for decades. Then they created the World Wide Web, sort of 1989, or they came up with the idea for it. It probably took another 10 years um, for you know your your mother to use email. <laughs> yeah. um, then, our, or, or and I'm, I'm directly quoting Joseph Lubin. The, he's one of the pioneers of blockchain, consensus chief executive. For his mother, he said to use email, um, or at least to even think it was a good idea. Mm. Um, and then, if you think about where we've gone, Web 2.0, and so we're at the beginnings of a new era of the internet yeah, yeah. and it is going to take some time for it to kind of you know fix in and if we go back to sort of even social media at the beginning everyone used myspace nobody yeah. remembers yeah, myspace yeah. now and look what's happening to facebook yeah. so um in terms of the criticism and the backlash it's facing so really we're, we're still on that adoption curve it's still very much early days and again as we we talk and talk about more of these stories that people will become to understand it, more people get involved, and then it becomes a little bit more robust, mm -hmm. a little bit more mainstream. We hear less and less of these stories. Regulators begin to find a happy medium about dealing with it. People become aware of the risks. Yeah, um, They understand about the jargon like cold storage and hot wallet yeah. and whatever it is, and it becomes a little bit less opaque, and these stories tend to, to to surprise us or frighten us less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I, th I think um, in Quadriga's case, it may well be that um, given the the tumble of uh, the value of cryptocurrencies over the past year, I mean, it had, it had in the past couple of months become known uh, in the crypto community for significant delays in processing large orders, large withdrawal orders uh, from clients. And it, it may well be, as you say, that is the nature of the beast at the moment, at present. Um, you mentioned Facebook there, and Facebook, uh, of course, had uh, a marvellous uh, earnings season itself. But closer to home, uh, we have some big names that uh, that pulled in some some pretty big numbers too. Um, Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank, the Emirates' biggest Sharia-compliant lender, profits rose by 8.7% year-on-year, um, and revenue rose by 2.4% to 5.8 billion. Um, other banks in the region included... Uh, uh, Arab Bank in Jordan, Jordan's biggest lender, a 35% year-on-year increase, and in Saudi Al Raji Bank, um, which also posted uh, a rise of 13%. Um, These all for the fourth quarter, are they? All for the fourth quarter, yeah. Um, uh, although in uh, in Adib's case, it's 8.7% uh, year-on-year uh, in 2018, so that's fourth quarter as well. Yeah, they're all fourth. It's full, fourth, full year and fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's all uh, it's all um, earning season, but. It seems reflective of what is a very um, robust and strong banking sector in the, in this country and in the wider region. I mean, banking is a good bellwether, isn't it, for the wider economy, UAE in the region. I mean, I, I think it's no secret uh, for those listening out there that sentiment's been pretty um, negative the last sort of 18 months or so. Um, and particularly, you know, people wondering, you know, where are the drivers coming? Um, there's been a lot of geopolitics uh, filtering into that mm. uh, sentiment as well. And, and, and people are looking for, for something to get them going, right? I think, mm. I think it's got to be beyond sort of platitudes and, you know, uh, you know, any PR. This, mm. They really need to see tangible stuff. So it, it doesn't really surprise me on a broad level that we're seeing good results because the oil price did well last year. Yeah. It was a bit of a dip towards the end of 2018, but in general, uh, it held up pretty well. That would have helped government spending, would have helped mm -hmm. in general the fiscal situation um, in the region. Plus, you had a lot of government uh, spending for a number W, for example, yeah. commitments to that. Um, Saudi has picked up somewhat as well. Um, but really, 
we needed a really strong earnings season. We needed to hear, you know, good figures and good numbers. We need to see sort of the tangible evidence that, you know, the fundamentals are not that bad. And the IMF mm-hmm. actually came out and said should be should be a good year or two, mm-hmm. um, you know, 2019, 2020. Um, the forecast there, and, and we had Fitch also saying they expect oil prices at $75 a barrel on average, a very strong second half of the year, yeah. which would mirror 2018 as well to a certain extent. And again, we are, as much as we are diversifying, the oil price matters. Yeah. Particularly for sentiment and, and for government spending. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, as you say, that this this strong earnings season um, from from some of the big names adds meat to the bones, if you like, of the of the, the econo- general economic forecasts, which were, uh, you know, looking at um, significant growth uh, for the GDP this year. Um, and like you say, that's okay. People see these forecasts, and the forecast is the forecast until there's en- evidence to show you that that is likely to be the case. And 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 results like these, I think, um, I think do that. Um, you know, outside of banking, Aramex, um, full year net profit up 13%, uh, although it, it witnessed a slightly softer fourth quarter. Um, and Agthea, uh, the Abu Dhabi food and beverage company, produces, of course, Alain water, uh, which most people know about. Um, net profit grew to uh, 210.5 million uh, in the period to December 31st. Um, annual profit was up two percent, and and it's not been an easy year for the food and beverage sector particularly. But that again shows solid uh, growth outside of, of of purely just to the banking sector. I think. I mean, obviously, from a stock market point of view, and, and those listed companies and share prices, analysts will have their own views and estimates, and 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 that will impact you know how people think each individual corporation is doing. But I mean, more more broadly, um, you know, you need to kind of look at the corporate landscape as a whole, and if profits are going up. Um, whether they're in line or better or lower than analyst estimates, then it, you know that that's what we need to hear. Yeah. We need to hear that profits are growing. Essentially, yeah. is the if you forgive me, the bottom line of the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And after the uh, with the banks showing uh, strength, of course, uh, the other big story was the merger of Abu Dhabi Commercial Bank, Union National Bank, and Al Hilal Bank. That that is a three way super merger. I think it's it's it's, yeah. it's merger bank merger bingo. Um, <laughs> if 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 we're going um, to play, what strikes me as being the most significant aspect of this, uh, regardless of the rationale uh, for the merger, and we all know that the, the banking scene that it's overbanked. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got close yeah. to fifty licensed yeah, 50. institutions. Yeah. Um, the country isn't big enough to sustain it all, yeah. and actually counterintuitively it means less competition which yeah. is not as good for consumers you yeah. want a, a small number of strong institutions competing with each other giving better service and, and better yeah. value to, to customers yeah. but to, to go back to my original point here which is what i find most significant is not necessarily why they're merging or that what the outcome of the merger will be it's that they are merging because when we they created uh, first Abu Dhabi bank out of national bank of Abu Dhabi and first gulf mm-hmm. bank People said, oh, this is the beginning of further consolidation. And and a lot of us who've been here a while will remember that when Emirates MBD was created, mm-hmm. people also said that, but then there was not another it, bank merger. It was quiet for a long, long time. A long, yeah. long time. So yeah. the fact that we've had, relatively speaking, very quickly after FAB, another uh, yeah. merger in the banking scene uh, is, is very good. And of course, Abu Dhabi had seen quite a few other mergers as well, mm-hmm. uh, consolidation in other, in other industries, but banking... Uh, we need more champions. They're going to be the fifth largest institution in the Gulf, yeah. as you said yeah. earlier, third yeah. largest in the UAE, which I think is just consolidating 
ADCB's position anyway. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, it will remain being called ADCB. Yes, of course. That, yeah. that will. Be, I'm sure they'll get a, a lovely shiny new branding. Yeah. Once all the networks are, uh, are merged. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, to have another financial sector champion, they could potentially. They say they're focused on the UAE now. Mm. So at least in the short term, that'll be more competition here. Yeah. But then eventually for the regional scene as well, yeah. you know, that's that's always good. So look, mer- mergers and acquisitions whether the merger actually achieves the intended aims and objectives of the three corporations uh, is is always a long shot Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with different cultures, but from a broader, again, if, if, if today's podcast is anything, it's more about, you know, let's take a broad view of everything. Yeah. It's, it's good for the, for the UAE. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in uh, ADCB's case, um, with other mergers, there were perhaps difficulties in in sinking uh, operations, particularly uh, you know technical technological operations. But um, the the optimism around the speed of the of getting this thing done uh, seems pretty good. Um, Egyptian investment bank EFG Hermes said uh, it should it should pr- proceed fast and expects it to be completed in the second quarter of this year. So, I mean that's quick. So yeah, from an, from a corporation point of view, it'll be quick. Mm. You know, the legal point of view will be quick. You know, yeah. the the actual new entity will emerge quickly. Uh, in the experience of FAB, that's mm. what happened too. Yeah. Um, as the most recent example, um, it takes a bit a, a, a while afterwards for the actual you know, the the grassroots to follow mm. and for people to find, you know, that they are just using one bank and not three different banks under one umbrella. But of course, Al-Halal will remain independently yeah. run, even though it'll be under the same group. Makes sense as Islamic. But really, what what the powerful thing here is it's got an actual Islamic banking license. I think up to now, ADCB has been using an imprint um, to sell Islamic products, but to have in the group a real, which everyone agrees Islamic banking is, is, is a real growth Absolutely, area. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting times. Looking good for uh, for the financial sector here and everywhere else. Um, let's hope it continues this year. Mustafa, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Many thanks to Mustafa Al Rawi. My name's Chris Nelson, and that was the Business Extra podcast. Join us again next week.